sports science, strength conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Hey everybody, I'm going to pause the show real quick and announce something brand new to the Decoding Excellence show. We've created an online community that has exclusive content that you will not be able to get just by navigating to the site alone. If you subscribe today, you will have access to our private podcast, our online video lecture series, brand new digital content that we are creating to help support you as a strength and conditioning coach, a new practitioner in the high performance field. You do not want to miss this material. It's going to help you in every facet of your career. Head over to adamringler.com and join the insiders today. Hey, everybody. We have a great show for you today. In this episode, I'm talking about nothing else than isometric training. It is seems to be the rage right now on the internet. And this episode talks about how we use it diagnostically, how we use it for training, how we use it to bias our strength conditioning program, and the ways that you can use isometrics in your training to better your student athletes. If you are interested in isometrics and the use and practicality of it in your environment, this is the episode for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. This is your host, Adam Ringler. As always, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome to it. It's uh, it's an adventure in strength and conditioning, sports science, everything else in between, technologies, performance, you name it, we have it. And as always, if you are a return listener, welcome back. This is the show where I'm going to be discussing a lot about isometrics, how we use them, how we program them, what we do to uh, evaluate some of our student athletes in regards to their isometric strength, particularly when it comes around to the isometric mid-thigh pole and some of the peak vertical forces we pull off of our dual force plates. But also, how do we use isometrics uh, in the weight room for other exercises generally, not maybe necessarily done on uh, the dual force platform. So this is the show where I'm going to get into it. And without further ado, let's jump right in. So I got a message last week that talked about, hey, Adam, have you checked out uh, Alex Natera's isometric course? And to be fair, I actually have not, not yet. Um, I think it's probably um, it's some incredible material and it's on my list of things to look into as far as, uh, you know, throwing continuing education funds towards because I think uh, I think he's a brilliant mind. But nonetheless, I haven't checked that course out yet. And in addition to that, they said, hey, Adam, what are you doing in regards to University of Colorado Boulders or your own sort of strength conditioning uh, programming? How are you using isometrics? And that's what I'm going to spend this show on. I want to talk about first our isometric mid-thigh pulls what we do there, how we do it, any of the other isometric testing that we might do across our student-athletes, and how do, we, uh, how do we use it, what do we look at. We do quite a bit of isometric uh, mid-thigh pulls as our primary bilateral, although we do get unilateral forces off of our dual force platforms, uh, but our bilateral strength movement. Why would you want to program this isometric mid-thigh pull or isometric mid-thigh position squat pattern? Well, a number of different things. If you are a strength conditioning coach, particularly working with 18 to 22-year-old, let's say, female athletes, much like myself, then you recognize that 
doing a, a one repetition max squat test, let's say back squat, poses some inherent dangers to A, the student athlete, but also to the program, to the win probability likelihood of, uh, of winning, right? And what that comes down to is, is the athlete sufficiently trained enough or has enough historical training background to successfully grind out a true 1RM? You can answer that however you might want to answer that. How do we take a population that is brand new to campus? Let's just say your entry-level benchmark athlete comes in, they fill out their PPEs, pre-participation, physicals, things like that, and then you want to begin to teach them or to evaluate maybe what their what their force production capabilities are in that bilateral squat position or isometric mid-thigh pull position. I would say I would not feel very confident taking an athlete that I have just met and being able to put a, a maximal load across their shoulders on their back and asking them to do a one rep max test. Now, you could say, well, hey, Adam, what about doing a submax test, right? figure out 75, 85%, something pretty heavy and have them go to repetition max or repetition failure. That's a valid point. However, if we have the technologies, we do, to be able to determine what their force production capabilities are in that sort of uh, isometric sort of mid-thigh knee position, why wouldn't we use that? Why wouldn't we? Inherently poses far less dangers to the student athlete it protects our potential availability of each player being able to practice and, and undergo skill development and, and participation availability for games. Why wouldn't we want to do that? So that becomes the first sort of uh, first thought in my mind as far as why would we want to use that isometric mid-thigh pull as our primary lower body strength movement? The second thing that I think of is that if you're already regularly doing counter movement jumps, right? Hands on hips, counter movement jump. Why wouldn't we want to leverage the slower strength type of IMTP movements versus the CMJ and then ultimately getting a dynamic strength index? To me, that sounds, that sounds very obvious that we would want to do that, right? We would want to be able to say, if you're already doing a CMJ on the force plate, if we were to program out some type of slower strength movement, high force movement, I i.e. the IMTP, to generate a peak force off of that, then, uh, then we should definitely do that. We, uh, we do. We do that. And ultimately, we end up getting this dyna dynamic strength index, or DSI. And what's really, really cool about that, for those of, uh, those of you listeners right now that isn't necessarily uh, well-versed with force platform technologies or uh, what are the nuances between the IMTP or a CMJ or some of these other tests, if you were to think about it simplistically, the DSI is essentially a ratio. It's an index between ballistic peak force and then a much slower isometric peak force. So we utilize that IMTP to generate that isometric peak force production in that squatting, slow, high force movement. We look at that in relationship to the counter movement jump peak forces that can be generated. And then it calculates or we can calculate this dynamic strength index. And it is essentially the difference between the athlete's ability to produce force during a dynamic and sort of fast movement and that sort of more slower static isometric test. And what we can do with that is that we can better understand what type of bias that athlete's strength conditioning program 
should be biased towards? Should it be more about maximal strength capabilities and generating that? Or should we actually be focusing a little bit more on that power production, sort of more ballistic, more high velocity type of movement? And we all know this in real world time, right? We can recognize that you see athletes in the weight room and and they have the ability to produce a lot of force, right? They might be your more proficient squatters. They can deadlift a small Buick. They're super strong, but you start to put them on, you know, any type of repetitive bounds or repetitive hurdle hops or depth jumps or plyometrics. And you're like, huh, that's weird. I would have figured that they would have been more uh, explosive, more elastic, right? That's an example of an athlete that maybe has a high IMTP peak force or squat force, however, doesn't have that same capability of producing that same amount of peak force rapidly within that CMJ. And what you would see in that example, when you start to look at that, maybe um, I am that, that, that DSI differential between the two, is that that athlete would actually have they would have a really low DSI and what they would need is more ballistic strength training. So what the literature at least says is that sort of that moderate concurrent training zone for DSI, that range would be between 0.6 to 0.8. And that would be sort of that that concurrent training range. And if you have, find that your athletes are producing a ratio where they're below 0.6, then that would be indicative of uh, the the need of doing more plyometric, more high velocity, low force type of training. This could be squat jumps. This could be trap bar deadlift jumps. This could be speed squats or speed deadlifts or more dynamic effort type of movements and plyometrics, things like that. If you have athletes that produce over 0.8 within that DSI ratio, then at that point in time, that's an athlete that can produce a lot of force in that CMJ, but potentially they're not producing at a lot of peak force in that IMTP. For that, that would be like, okay, we need to teach maximal force, maximal strength type of training. That would be your max effort type of movements if you're you know, prescribed to more of a conjugate style of uh, training program. And in that, right, higher DSIs typically means more time being spent on developing maximal strength, where a smaller or lower DSI score or ratio or index would be, hey, yeah, you need to spend more time on developing being that explosiveness or that rate of force development. And that's typically done through that more ballistic plyometric strength, strength programming or power programming, if you will. Power training. So that's one reason why I like to uh, to include some of those isometrics, right? Just an IMTP type of isometric, very initially, is low risk to the student athlete, low risk to the program. You're not going to lose availability. Very rarely do you ever see an athlete get hurt, right, or injure themselves on performing an isometric mid-thigh pull. You get the added benefit of while you're testing that bilateral squat or bilateral pull, you get to tease out any of the asymmetries left and right, right? Not just peak force asymmetries, which is important, don't get me wrong. So now you have the capability of looking unilaterally across limbs and saying, wow, did you know that your right leg is producing more force than your left leg? 5%, 6%, 10%, 20%, whatever it might be, right? And you can use that diagnostically to be able to potentially alter your and individualize your strength conditioning program to include more unilateral strength development on that weaker limb side. 
maybe it's a uh, postural issue that you can also refer out to your PTs and your athletic trainers and your physicians to see if there's any sort of more skeletal or postural reasons why that athlete might be producing force, you know, in in excess of that 10% sort of threshold that you might, uh, you might set up. In addition to that, right, so now you can individualize your training program, it's low risk, you can generate a DSI. One of the added benefits too, is that from a practicality standpoint, you can test way more often, because it's less risky, and it's less exertionally uh, fatiguing, if you will, to be able to do a maximal isometric, than to ask an athlete to load up 100, 102, 105% of their one RM back squat, and ask them to do that mid-season. So all of last last year, if you will, that 2021 to 2022 campaign year, we would routinely program this isometric mid-thigh pull just to occasionally keep track of, are we continuing to trend in the right direction? Are we continuing to get strong? Are we doing what we need to do to maintain the strength qualities so that we are you know, in a favorable position to... Uh, to use that, to express that force, to express that peak force within that isometric mid-thigh pull. Because of the nature that it's low risk and that uh, there's not a lot of associated delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS associated with maxing out an isometric pull, this was a really good way diagnostically to, to maintain that we are getting stronger and, and staying on top of what we need to do from a force production standpoint. So that's been highly beneficial for us, right? And that's just one use of isometrics within sport, right? You could utilize, you know, with a sort of truly a barbell um, IMTP variation, right? You could do a squatting variation with no barbell across the mid thigh. You could also deploy different stance positions, right? Split stance. If you're thinking about you know, men's and women's basketball and uh, positional requirements that they are often in. So you could play around with doing more staggered stance or split stance variations or isometrics in those positions and generate sort of limb-specific, positional-specific, sport-specific isometric protocols to make sure that the athletes are strong within those position patterns. So let's move on from that. That's uh, that's one aspect of it. Uh, yeah, so that's lower body dominant IMTP squat patterned sort of uh, isometrics in various both bilateral parallel stance positions, but we also kind of teased about the ability of being in more of a sport specific pattern as well. One of the things that we also like to play around with is the athletic shoulder test, right? The ASH test, Ben Ashworth, um, sort of the uh, inventor of this isometric sort of shoulder, upper limb, upper extremity type of uh, isometric evaluation screen. We do that with our overhead population. So we're looking at our volleyball athletes and throwing population with that. That is essentially just to give you an, a rundown of what the ASH test looks like. If you were to think of an athlete laying essentially in a prone position in front of the force plates and having their one arm above their head in this sort of uh, 180 degree position, that would be the I position. An athlete would then isometrically but maximally produce flexion force into the force plate in that 180 degree position for a three to five second maximal isometric. You would be able to tease out both peak vertical forces and net forces, i.e. net, you know, minus the arm 
limb weight and be able to look at force production capabilities in that right side and left side shoulder in that long lever 180 degree position. If the athlete were to turn slightly into more of a Y shoulder position so that the relationship between that arm and their torso is 135 degrees, that would be your long lever Y position. And they could produce peak vertical forces and net forces or in rate of power development or rate of force production, RFD, into that force platform. And now you're getting a different shoulder angle and the athlete's capability of producing force in that Y long lever position. If the athlete were to turn perpendicular to the force platform, and now the relationship between the athlete's shoulder and their torso is now 90 degrees, you could have that athlete in what we would call the T position. And you could test both isometrically the maximal force capabilities in both the dominant and non-dominant arm. Three trials, three to five second maximal effort into that force platform. Now, I have seen some athletes do a zero degree. So this would be like your hands down by your pockets. The athlete's head would turn completely counter to the force plate. And that would be at zero degrees. And you could do that as well. But the, the standard ash test, if you will, is that 180-degree I position, 135-degree Y position, and that 90-degree T position. Now, why would you want to use this? Well, you may want to use this periodically throughout an overhead season to determine if an athlete is losing force capabilities in that flexion position because of shoulder niggles, if you will, pains and strains and just soreness through that shoulder. And when you particularly think of, let's say, a collegiate volleyball season, Right, we go from August to November. You might want to to be able to determine from from August to September, September to October, October to November, if that athlete is adapting to your training program, i.e., producing more force in those positions. If they are maintaining the force capabilities that they once had in that flexion position, and at very least not having a decay of those force production or or rate of force development capabilities. Now, that's that's just the evaluation. That's the screen. That's some routine monitoring that one person may do regularly. Another thing that somebody might want to do is they might want to do a pre-participation evaluation. And what that would be is that you develop benchmarks, right? You run your entire team through it in the event that an athlete has a shoulder injury. You now have pre-participation evals in that 180, 135, and 90 degree position in the event that maybe it is a shoulder labrum surgery that you need or some type of other surgical intervention. Now you can arm your physical therapist, your strength conditioning professional, your uh, surgeon with information that says we have benchmarks to try to work our way back to. And then obviously, objective criteria to get them advancing from so that their shoulder is can be deemed at least from a return to play criteria standpoint, a little bit more healthier. And that is again, that's driven through the use of isometrics in the upper extremities, right in that IYT position. So another novel use of being able to do isometrics with the force platform. What are some other uses of isometrics that we use here in Boulder, Colorado? And in our University of Colorado Athletic Department. Well, one of which is if we have a lower extremity injury, let's say a knee injury, meniscus, perhaps, maybe it's an MCL, maybe it's an ACL return to play, we can do that prone isometric 
hamstring curl on our VOD performance Nord board. So rather than using the Nord board in a classical Nordic eccentric overload type of uh, standard way that one might use the Nord board, we can lay down a mat in front of the Nord board. So it's now a elevated platform for the athlete to, to essentially rest their torso on. And they could go in that long lever position, prone long lever, knee sort of uh, um, extended out position, and do isometric leg curls on the Nord board. And what this allows us to do is, again, we can tease out left to right max force capabilities. We could look and say we need to do a little bit more targeting on this left side or right side hamstring. Even in the event of a hamstring strain, you could, you could absolutely do the same isometric protocol there. We can look at, okay, from a posterior chain strengthening standpoint, we might want to produce or we might want to offload a little bit of our programming, two sets on one side versus one on the other, three sets versus one set, four sets versus one set, to get some really targeted overload on the rate limiting side. And we can do that for a wide degree of different sort of lower extremity injuries. Right. And we have done that to make sure that our athletes are responding and their force capabilities in a knee flexion position is uh, is is growing closer to more of that symmetrical, symmetric, symmetrical, non asymmetrical side. We can also replicate a very similar thing with a bot performance force frame. So there's a number of different force evals that you can do, testing, diagnostic evals that you can do with that force frame. It's quite versatile, hence uh, one of the reasons why we have it. Let's just say it was a groin or hip injury, right? You might want to do isometric sort of training mode on the force frame and get some targeted long duration isometrics within a particular band uh, for that hip adduction or Let's say you wanted to um, acute groin strain and you're working a, a student athlete back from that groin strain. You might want to start off with some short, but also low amplitude, low force isometrics and build a robustness, build a tolerance to producing force through that groin in that maybe 60 degree hip adduction sort of groin squeeze. And then over time, elongate out the duration of those isometric contractions, and then eventually continue to raise the ceiling so that you get higher and higher forces under longer and longer durations of isometrics. That's another novel use of isometrics within a groin squeeze. You could also look at doing that for essentially a hip pull or an abduction. You could do those shorter duration, lower force abduction holds isometrics. And then over time, increase the duration of those holds, and then increase the amplitude or the force production within those holds and those durations as well. And then, then the sky's the limit. If you just think about what you could do, you could do internal and external rotation of the shoulders by turning perpendicular and, and rotating the crossbar, the cross beam 90 degrees. You could do knee flexion as well in a seated position, uh, utilizing the force frame as well and starting again with shorter duration, lower, essentially lower force isometrics under time, under repetitions, and then increase the duration of those isometrics and then increase the force production band. And that's another way of building isometrics into your training program, but also using it diagnostically to tease out, do we have any sort of asymmetries left and right in our groin squeeze capabilities or our hip drive out, our abduction capabilities? 
And then we could examine the relationship between hip adduction versus hip abduction and seeing do we have the appropriate ratio of groin squeeze to hip drive out? And then being able to see is there any risk factors associated with having an imbalance on one hip versus another. So another novel use of isometrics within sport, both from an evaluation standpoint, but also from a classical strength conditioning, physical development standpoint. So what might be another use of isometrics in sport? I talked about it on our last podcast show. VOD Performance has come out with the Dynamo, which is a really cool piece of technology. Looking it up right now, just so I can actually say it. Uh, VOD Performance, that's the advantage of having my computer right in front of me. The Dynamo. 300 different strength and uh, strength evals that you can do it. It's a dynamometer and inclinometer. What's really cool with it is that there's a bunch of different attachments. You have a palm, you have a flat pad, curved pad. I've used the uh, flat to do like some isometrics into the floor, essentially like the IYT sort of ash test without force plates and just using the, the dynamo, which is really cool. But one of the super subtle but super robust things that they did is they added the tension links to it. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to anchor the dynamo device to a non-movable sort of fixed object, i.e. our squat racks in the weight room. And then we could use the ankle attachment to be able to adjustable strap attachment, and the, uh, the, the ankle attachment, to now be able to hook that, fix that dynamo from a rack to an athlete's ankle. And now we can do things like a mass uh, maximal isometric hamstring curl versus turning around, sitting back down 90 degrees in a chair and doing a knee extension. Aha, and now we have quad force production, rate of power development, rate of force development in that sort of knee extension versus knee flexion position. And lo and behold, that's still what a lot of surgeons and physicians use from a knee standpoint. So now you have just another eval utilizing that dynamo device of being able to pull out, you know, quad symmetry, quad or knee sort of extension force production capabilities in left and right. And now you can start to draw some conclusions about, hey, do we need to get this athlete stronger in this position post ACL or post MCL? If you think athlete could lay down prone position, have a long lever, leg locked out and do hip extension, and you can end up practitioner assisted providing that maximal external force. And now they are checking uh, their hip extension force production in left and right side. Or you, they could lay prone and do a leg curl and be up more at that 90 degree sort of knee flexion position and being able to maximally contract that hamstring into a practitioner sort of held uh, dynamo device. And now you're getting sort of that terminal in range of motion knee flexion position in that prone position, force capabilities. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is the sky's the limit with what you can do from an isometric testing capability between the Nord board, between the force frame, between force decks, and now the dynamo. Boy, this feels like an advert for VOD performance, and I, I, I hope it doesn't come across that way. It's just that they have performance technologies that allow us to do some really novel testing. Now, it's up to you as a practitioner, as a strength conditioning coach, a physical therapist, a personal trainer, whomever you might be, to be able to take that information and then be able to program sets and reps and exercises to be able to elicit what the student athlete might need or what your 
discipline your client or your um, your person might need. That is just a few ways that here at University of Colorado that we utilize isometrics across our programming from the IMTPs with our four stacks between, you know, our squat assessments within the four stack system, within utilizing the Nord board in that isometric prone position between utilizing the force frame, which is truly all about capturing isometric forces in a wide degree of different testing sort of positions and evals and tests there. But then also using the Dynamo device to be able to pull out different isometrics. Now it's up to you, right, in your facility, in your weight room to be able to appropriately take that information, distill it into what really matters, and then be able to program out whether it's short duration, high force, if whether it's clusters, whether it's just long duration, isometrics for sort of targeted force production. It's up to you. So hopefully you took a, something away from uh, the last 30 minutes of this sort of micro podcast about how we utilize isometrics here. And hopefully you can think about, oh man, okay, what can I do in my facility with the technologies that I have available at my fingertips to be able to make objective targeted programming for my athletes? Hey everybody, that is going to be it for this episode of the Decoding Excellence Show. I hope you took something away from our conversation about the utilization of isometrics within our strength conditioning program, how we use it diagnostically to determine asymmetries across limbs, and maybe some of the ways that you can novelly program out exercises, sets, reps, and clusters, and, and programming to better your student athletes, uh, not only physical performance in sports specific sort of type of movements or positional specific type of movements, but also in ways to better understand what their training needs. As always, there's a number of different ways that you can support the Decoding Excellence show. The newest way you can support is by heading over to adamringler.com and joining the High Performance Insiders. This is an exclusive community that allows you access to the private articles, the private podcast feed, and digital lecture series that's being hosted behind this community wall. Check it out by heading over to adamringler.com and subscribing today. The second way you could support the show is simply by signing up for the newsletter. This is something I take a lot of pride in. I try to go out on the internet, dig up research articles that are fascinating. I try to find the newest technologies, articles I'm reading, uh, research publications, and just really cool things that I discover that sort of exist between performance science, biology, and technology. I think you'll get a lot of value simply by uh, signing up for the newsletter. I promise you, I will never spam you. I will never sell your information or give this out. I cherish this little small community that I'm, I'm creating with this newsletter. The last way you can support the show is simply by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler. Now, the name is a little misleading. You are actually not buying me a coffee. You're buying the show a coffee. It's a micro donation, anywhere from three, four, five dollars. So it's a latte, a cappuccino at Starbucks, essentially. And you're buying and supporting the show's hosting fees and the ability to deliver great content to your ears weekly. 
So head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler and buy the Decoding Excellence show a coffee. Buy two coffees, buy five coffees if you're an espresso junkie. So as always, I love you guys. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Stay safe, stay strong. Until next time.